Well, it's New Year's Eve. And what would New Year's be without talking about resolutions? Don't worry, I'm not really going to talk about New Year's resolutions. But how it wouldn't be New Year's if we didn't, right? If we didn't deal with that, if we didn't think through that. Um, we always talk about exercise more, work less, I- improve our grades, quit social media, right? That's, that's one. Um, eat less, save more, all kinds of more or less kinds of things. But I came across uh, an article, I believe it was Parade Magazine. I just Googled re- New Year's resolutions and it popped up. And there were some ideas for 2024. And I thought, these are a little bit different than the typical more or less things. I think a couple of them may be, but, but we have the first one here for you. Uh, these are just some ideas. Stop gossiping. That's not a more or less. This just don't do it, right? That's a good one. That's a good. Here's another one. It's also biblical. Uh, give one compliment a day. That's a good one, huh? Right? You're, you're talking to somebody else, building somebody else up. Um, how about this one? Go a whole day without checking your email. Hi. <laughs> I challenge you to do that. Yeah, all right. I, I really uh, often try to do that on my day off and um, not open my email. Not always successful. Here's the next one. Uh, turn your phone off one night a week. Some of you might be saying, are you kidding me? Well, you're sleeping anyway, so, right? All right, okay. One more on here. Um, volunteer. That's great. We call it in the church serving, Right? Uh, but that's a great one. Here's, here's some more. We'll keep moving right on through. This. Write down one thing you're grateful for every night. Now, if you're a morning time, per, a morning person, you could do it in the morning too. But write down one thing every day you're thankful for. Uh, here's another one. Drink more water. Everybody talks about that. One of Terry Stadnick's issues was he was dehydrated. And uh, that happens to people. And so drink more water. All right. Here's another one. Call a friend instead of texting them. You say, they won't answer the phone. I get that. I know our kids. It's like, if I call them, I get nothing. If I text them, boom, right away. All right? But stick with it. Stick with it. Uh, Call a friend. All right, one more. Take the stairs. Yeah? You see, that's better than exercising more. Take the stairs. And, And here's the last one. I think we, yes, be kind on social media. I, don't, I can't do that because I don't do social media. So uh, maybe that's the better idea. But if you do, be kind. Because I hear all the time how even God's people are not. Anyway, so you think about it. Some ideas that you may think about. The new year is an opportunity for a clean slate. We often think that way. A fresh start, a clear conscience, a new beginning. We might say, all right, time to go back to square one. And start all over again tomorrow, January 1st. Wow, we've wiped it clean. Here we go, a new year. And for those of us who know and follow Jesus, I think we need to be asking some questions of ourselves as the new year begins. I'm not suggesting resolutions. I'm suggesting some self-evaluation. Taking a look at your own life, your own walk. How about uh, these questions? What about your relationship with Jesus, would you like to change this year? Now, whether or not you think you're living a great life before God or not, 
What about your relationship with Jesus would you like to change this year? Because none of us is perfect, right? None of us are, I should say, are perfect, right? How about this? Uh, Spiritually speaking, what do you need to improve on this year? It doesn't say you're not doing well or you are. It just says, okay, what do you need to improve on this year? Spiritually speaking. And then thirdly, how about this? What needs to be fixed in your walk with God in 2024? And, and I don't want you to think that as we talk about the Word of God this morning and challenge you with the importance of that in your life and what it can do in your mind and your heart that, that we need to do everything all at once. And that may be the problem with New Year's resolutions is we, we try to do all kinds of things all at once and by January 3rd, or 30th, uh, you know, it's like, okay, I don't even remember what those resolutions were. So think about this. What needs to be fixed in your relationship, in your walk with God? And as we talk about that, we typically think of things that we should do, spiritually speaking. To think of things that we should do, activities, uh, things that we need to change, um, It may be simply a recommitment of some area of obedience in your life. And we're thinking about what can I do to be more obedient? I haven't been in this way. I need to be. We may be thinking of reestablishing godly habits in our lives. We always talk, I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. We come up with all those things. I need to be more faithful in being together with God's people. I need to be telling others about Jesus more often. I need to be uh, serving more regularly. I need to give more. We come up with all those things we need to do. Or there may be other things. We talk about being kind. We talk about talking kindly to one another. Overcoming a critical spirit. Less complaining. How about forgiving? And we could go on, but we typically, when we think about what we need to do differently or what needs to be fixed or what is it about our relationship with God that, that we could do better, we come up with a list of things to do or not do. And uh, that's okay. Don't get me wrong. These are all good and necessary, the things that I've just suggested. And they will certainly bring about change in our relationship with the Lord. But the problem with a list like that, the problem with those kinds of things is they're all external actions. They're all something outside, externally of us. And the problem with external change is just that. Sometimes it's only external. Lasting change comes from the heart. Actually, your heart's right here, not here, right? We always do that. It's, it's right in the middle. Believe me, I know. All right. Uh, but lasting change comes from the heart. A heart that loves God, that lives in awe and wonder of who God is and what he has done. A heart that overflows with words of amazement and love 
for Jesus. On this last day of 2023, folks, I, in these few minutes that we have together this morning, I want to fill your hearts with the wonderfulness of God. If you'll remember four weeks ago when I spoke on wonderful counselor, we talked about the word wonderful more than the counselor because it is a word that we've lost track of. It's a word that's become routine. It's, it's a word that means so much more than we use it, the way we use it. Wonderful is the amazing, awesome, astounding, unbelievable God that we have. And I want to fill your hearts this morning at least with the wonderfulness of God. And as you are reminded of what God did for Israel, we're going to read this morning that you will remember what God has done for you. That's part of the wonderfulness. And I also want you to saturate your minds with God's word, the Bible. A lot of times we talk people who don't know God or don't know a lot about God or his truth, we say God's word. We're, we're talking about the Bible, this book right here, this book that God gave to us that, that is still with us after a couple thousand years. It's here. And I want you to determine that you're going to saturate your mind with God's word. So in order to do that, please open your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be underneath the chair in front of you a hard copy of the Bible. And it's there on page 338, 338 Nehemiah chapter 9. And we're going to go through all 38 verses. You say, wait a minute, it's 10 o'clock. We're going to go through 38 verses? Yep, yep, I'm going to read them for you. So it's going to be critical. I'm not going to have them on the screen. I will have the first two verses as we do. But follow along. Do your best. And if you're not sure where to turn, Ask somebody or nudge somebody next to you and just give them that, I don't know what I'm doing, look, right? And, and they'll help you, and that's okay. Um, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books should be read together. They really should. Um, in fact, they, they're really, it's one story. It's a continuation Ezra first, then Nehemiah, and if you read them together, just follow right on through, and the story really is kind of one story in it, and it just starts in Ezra and, and picks up and goes right on through the end of Nehemiah. And uh, in those books, they describe, first of all, the rebuilding of the temple. What you need to understand is the nation of Israel, which had been the divided kingdom, the northern tribes, 10 tribes that was called Israel, and then the southern two tribes that were called Judah. And first of all, 
Israel was taken captive because of their sin. They were taken into exile by Assyria in uh, 722 B.C. And then a number of years later, Judah followed suit, and because of their sin, they're turning their backs on God. They were taken into exile in Babylon in 586 B.C. And so both of the, all 12 tribes, the nation of Israel, were in captivity. And it was not a good thing. And they were there because of their sin, because of their disobedience, because they turned their backs on God. And so as they were heading back, the 70 years was basically over of captivity that had been prophesied. And they're heading back and they get back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And then we know after that, Nehemiah himself uh, is sent back by King Artaxerxes because he's burdened about the walls around Jerusalem. So Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the walls. So the temple was rebuilt, then the walls are rebuilt. And as we look at the Word of God this morning, and and we're going to take a look at that, the next thing that happens, and it starts in verses uh, 8 through 10, 12 there in the book of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the lives of those who returned from exile in Babylon and Assyria. The rebuilding of their lives. We might call it spiritual restoration because the, the exiles didn't always walk with God. Even though they were away and out of their country, aware of what God had done, that in and of itself wasn't enough to turn back the hearts of some of them to God. And so as they're heading back, many of them, and back into Jerusalem, Nehemiah 8 tells us that Ezra the priest read the law of Moses. And you can take the time to look through Nehemiah chapter 8, and you'll see how that all came about. We're told that Ezra taught and read the word of God, the law of Moses. That's what it was. To the nation of Israel. And when the people heard it, they lifted their hands to heaven and they shouted, Amen. And they fell on their knees and they worshiped the Lord because of the truth of the word of God that they'd heard. And then in Nehemiah, we read verses 1 and 2. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth. And putting dust on their heads, that was all signs of repentance. And then we get to verse 2. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Now really, they couldn't confess sins for anybody else. But when it says they confess the sins of their ancestors as well, because they're looking back, and we're going to do that here in just a minute, at the history of Israel and all that they did to walk away from God. And so they recognize as a nation before God, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. It's a big deal, folks. And all that's going on now is all part of God's plan. None of that is taking God by surprise. None of that is just happening Understand that. Actually, nothing just happens. 
Not in any of our lives. Certainly not in the life of the nation of Israel. But they're identifying together as a nation. And they're confessing the sins of their ancestors, the people. They stood in their places and confessed their sins. Wow. These people had been impacted by the reading of the law of the word of God. That's what happens in chapter 8. Chapter 9, they read some more. They praise God some more. They uh, confess some more. And then they worship some more. And we're told in chapter 9 that the Levites, the priests, led the people in prayer. And I want to walk through this prayer with you that begins in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 5. Blessed be your glorious name. And, and as we read this together, I, I, I want you to, to, to grab hold, to pay attention to what Nehemiah is saying about God. I want you to be in awe and wonder and amazement at what God has done. I, God gave me this text to use today I, about a month ago. Just in my own daily Bible reading, I came across this and read chapter 9 of Nehemiah, and I thought, uh, this is December 31st message right here. Because as you'll see, Nehemiah recounts much of the history of the nation of Israel in a way that I'd forgotten and hadn't thought about like Nehemiah recounted it for us. And so I want you to grab hold of that as that happens. Now listen to me. This is not New Year's Eve or New Year's Day in Jerusalem. I'm not suggesting that in any way. All right? This wasn't happening on the, new, the, the eve of the new year in Jerusalem. But I, what I do want, I pray that these verses in God's word will stir your heart with God's grace and God's compassion, with his wonderfulness. I've used that word a few times because I don't want you to lose sight of the, 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 the names of God, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Christmas is over for another year, just 51 weeks, folks. But let me say to you, those names will mean much to you all throughout the year, not just for the month of December. And so it's the wonderfulness. And as you're reminded of what God did for his people, and we're going to look at that, I hope that in turn you will be motivated to dig into, to read, and to think about God's word. I'm not suggesting you make a resolution to read the Bible more. Well, I am. You say, well, I can't do that. I, I don't read it at all. Well, then just read it five minutes a day. If you're not reading it all, say, I'll read, I'll read it two days a week for five minutes. Don't, I'm going to sit down and read my Bible for an hour every day. Don't go there. Nobody does that. Well, I shouldn't say nobody, but not many. Let's put it that way. But we can be digging into the Word, and I want to challenge you to do that this morning as we continue on. So let me pick it up 
in verse 5. Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5. Now, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. What's he talking about? They're praying about God the Creator, His almighty power. The wonder of creation. Wow. Think about that. We get so used to, you know what happens to us? We get caught up in arguing about creation or evolution and we forget the wonder of creation. There's no argument, folks. God created it all. That's it. That doesn't mean you can't be an apologist and help People who understand, but guess what? You can win an argument and lose the war. Because only God can change the heart. But the wonder of creation, that's what Nehemiah is talking about. Then verse 7, you are, and I want you to notice as you look through this, notice all, what, all that God has done. All the different, circle them. I, I've gone through and I just printed out. Because my Bible, there wouldn't be any room. I, I have it all marked up, this chapter anyway, but I just printed out three pages of Nehemiah chapter 9 and wrote, and every time I read through it, I'd circle more and color this and line here, and, and, and it's just, there's so much. So do that with your Bible. Do something. You are, verse 7, you are the Lord God. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Do I live like that? You who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. God chose Abraham. Father Abraham. Shall we sing? No, that's okay. We won't. You found his heart faithful to you. And you made, notice, a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. God promised to give them the land. That's why we call it what land? The promised land. See, you're with me. That's good. Yeah, God promised that land and he gave it to them. Verse 9, you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of the land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself which remains to this day. God in his care and love and compassion looked down on the nation of Israel, his people in slavery in Egypt, and he saw that. He knew what was going on. He understood that. You see all that you saw, you heard, you sent, you knew. Verse 11 
God, you divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. Is your mind picturing Exodus? That's where we are. This is a a recap, a summary of the history of the nation of Israel. And here we are at the Exodus. You divided the sea. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. We just spent a lot of time in the month of December on Sundays talking about light. God gave them light as a means of direction. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire at night. God led his people. Verse 13, you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. Now you're thinking the Ten Commandments, right? You should be. Mount Sinai, that's, that's follow in your minds. Think it with me. And as you're reading Scripture, this is how you ought to read. Now, some, this is an easy text to read that way. It's not always easy that way. But stick with it. Think as you're reading. So he says, then verse 14, You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger you gave them bread from heaven. And in that, what's that called? Manna, so you're thinking, good, yes. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. How'd that happen? Moses struck the rock, right? That's In their hunger, you gave them food. You brought them water. The end of verse 15, you told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. Listen, do you see, God communicates with his people. Why would God do that? The almighty God, the creator of this world, would talk to us, would talk to his people, That's what this is all about, the Bible, God's word. God chose to talk to us. Woo-wee. Huh? Care and compassion. You fed them. You gave them water. And then here we are, the promised land. But, verse 16, but. And if you don't have it in your mind, about the middle of the book of Numbers, chapters 12, 13, 14, right in there, when Israel refused to go into the land that God had promised to give them. But, verse 16, they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. Listen, this is the nation that just watched God open the Red Sea, let them through on dry ground, and then closed it in on the Egyptian army and their chariots and wiped them out. This is the same God that they know, or so we think, 
they know or should have known, but they refused to listen, failed to remember those miracles. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. What was, who was that leader? Aaron. Remember? Exodus 32. While Moses is up on the mountain with Joshua. Aaron, they're tired of waiting. And they make a golden calf. Israel says to Aaron, take us back to Egypt. Years ago, there was a song by a musician by the name of Keith Green. And he wrote a song. So you want to go back to Egypt. And you and I, uh, we, we read that and we go, are you kidding me? What's wrong with them? And folks, every time we read these texts like that, don't you always, I hope, say, but you know what, I'm not a whole lot different than that. We say God saved Egypt, brought them th- or God saved Israel, brought them through the Red Sea, delivered them from Egypt. How could they, how could they not obey God? God delivered us from our sin. How could we not obey God? But, middle of verse 17, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. What's that? That's the gospel. That's the gospel, folks. God, as he says, you are a forgiving and gracious God, compassionate, abounding in love. That's why God sent his son Jesus to this earth to be born. We've just celebrated that so that ultimately he could go to the cross and as a man born as a man still all God but all man go to the cross and die in our place for our sin that's the gospel because he's a forgiving God he's a loving God he's a compassionate God folks does that grip your heart does that move you to wonder? Not, not wonder like, hmm, what's going on? No, to the wonder of God. Therefore, you did not desert them. Man, you ever feel like, man, if I was God, I'd have let those idiots, excuse me, kids, I'm sorry. I'd have let those Israelites just, psh, Let them reap the benefit of what they've sown. But God did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies. So you really want to go back to Egypt? Verse 19, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. So so now we're jumping ahead. They didn't go into the wilderness. On the wilderness, they made a God. 
uh, golden calf that was to be their God and, and talked about going back to Egypt. God dealt with their sin and that they refused to go into the promised land. So as you know, they had to wander around for 40 years. But here it is, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Even in the wilderness for 40 years, God didn't abandon them. Wouldn't you have? I would have. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. God did that for 40 years as those who disobeyed God, 20 years of age and older, died. Verse 22, you gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Are you following here what's happening? He's, they're in the land now. He's talking to those that were younger than 20, talking to them about their parents. Their parents didn't possess the land that God had promised because of their sin. So now he's talking to the, to the 20-year and youngers who are now in the land and how God delivered them. Look at this. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and the peoples of the land to deal with them as they pleased. What victory! God gave the land He promised He would, but now it's the kids that are getting it. And look at what He's doing now that they're in the land. He would have done that for their parents. They captured, verse 25, fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things. Houses that they didn't build. Houses that were full of stuff that they didn't deserve or earn. God just gave it to them. Look at this. And then he says, wells already dug. Do you realize how, you know, digging a well is a lot of hard work, especially when you didn't have any machinery. That's a big deal to get a well that you didn't have to dig. You got water. God gave it to them. Vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. Look at this. They reveled in your great goodness. Oh, folks. <laughs> Do we revel in God's goodness in his wonderfulness? Are we at awe? For all that God does for us, we can look back and say, what is wrong with these people? Well, before we do that or after we do that, we better be willing to say, and what is wrong with me? 
Where am I missing it? They reveled in your great goodness. Look at verse 26. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. Now, these are the people that were in the promised land that just got the homes and the possessions that they didn't earn, that just got the wells that they didn't dig, that just got all the fruit trees and the figs and the vines and the grapes and everything else. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets because God sent prophets to tell them the truth, that you're walking away. They killed them. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies, so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them. You gave them deliverers. And you rescued them. You see what God continues to do? All the things that God's doing. You delivered them, verse 27. You heard them, verse 27. You gave them deliverers. You rescued them from the hands of their enemies. Why? Why? They turned their backs on God. And when they'd cry out to God, because of their difficult situation, God would deliver them. Verse 28, but as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Are you kidding me? Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again... You heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You know what those verses are telling us about? The book of Judges. Right? I believe there are 16 judges. 16 times Israel turned their back on God. Sixteen times God brought an enemy nation to deliver judgment. Sixteen times they cried out to God when things got so bad. Sixteen times God sent another deliverer and rescued them. Sixteen times they returned to their sin. That's the book of Judges. And by the way, we're going to start a series on the book of Judges in a few weeks here in the month of January. I guess we're not there yet, almost. That's the book of Judges. Verse 28, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen for many years Many years you were patient with them. Now we're into the, to the age of the kings, the monarchy. We want a king just like all the other nations. God gave them a king, and that's just how they treated. They turned their backs. They became stiff-necked, refused to listen. For many years you were patient, 
By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention as you gave them into the hands of neighboring peoples, but in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. And we come all the way through the land of the or the the time of the kings, all the way up through the exile when God sends the ten northern tribes into Assyria, the two southern tribes into Babylon, and judges them in exile because of their sin. Yet, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Verse 34, now therefore, now we're right back to today in the text. Now they're saying, here we are, standing before you, Near the re, in the rebuilt temple, in the, in the walls of the rebuilt city of Jerusalem, and now we're trying to rebuild our lives spiritually. And he says, Our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and on all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today... Again, there's exile. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. Notice everybody did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes. You warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom enjoying your good, great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Wow. Verse 36, but see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Do you see who's eating the fruit? The enemy nations that God let overcome the nation of Israel because of their sin. Because of our sin, verse 37, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. There it is. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. But in view of all this, verse 38, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, and our Levites, our priests, are affixing their seals to it. The conclusion of the whole matter is simply, they had heard the word of God read to them in chapter 8, some more in chapter 9, and they repented. They rehearsed the nation of Israel, which was turning their back on God despite his mercy and grace and compassion. And now here they are, coming out of exile, and they're determined that they are going to make a treaty, a covenant, a binding agreement that they will obey God. Read Nehemiah chapter 10. That's what happens. So how about us, folks? Where are we in 2024? What do we need to do? 
what about your relationship? And I'm just going to skip, Hunter, right to the last quote there. What about, or question, what about your relationship with Jesus will you change this year? As you look back on, you know what? You may be walking with God. You may not even be close to the nation of Israel. And please, I'm not suggesting that that's where we are. Not suggesting Heritage Baptist Church is a bunch, is like a bunch of wandering Israelites who have turned their back. I'm not saying that at all. I'm recounting the history of Israel as did the Levites when they read that, when they prayed to God. And why? So that they would determine that we will obey God. What about your relationship with Jesus? Will you change this year? It hasn't happened yet, but the big day in history after the birth of Jesus Christ was his death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus died in my place, in your place, for my sin, for your sin. Do you know Jesus today? In just a minute, I'm going to close our time in the word with a word of prayer and we're going to enter into a time of communion as we call it the Lord's Supper and where we have the bread and the cup the bread representing the body of Christ that he gave his life for us the cup symbolizing the blood of Christ that was shed as the payment for our sin the nation of Israel walked away from God. They turned their backs on God. We've read that over and over again. And God still loved them, still forgave them, and provided Jesus Christ years later as the one who would forgive our sin. Folks, that's past for us. It was future for them. As we look back to the cross, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever acknowledged, admitted that you are a sinner on your way to hell. There's nothing you can do about that sin. You can do all kinds of good works. I had the opportunity to share that with a doctor who basically asked me. And I said, you know what? He, he, he's a good guy. But he's not good enough. That's why Jesus went to the cross to die for us, to pay for our sin, to bring forgiveness and make us no longer enemies, but a child of God. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, you can believe right now, admit your sin, that it is Jesus alone on the cross, his blood that he gave to pay for your sin and mine. And if you believe, he will forgive you and wash you clean. Wow. Talk about the wonder of it all. So as we begin, that's what we're doing is remember the body of Christ, the life he gave for us, the blood of Christ that paid for our sin. And when we believe, we're forgiven. And we're told in the New Testament that we should continue to remember Christ's death until he comes back again. And that's why on the last day, 
of 2023, we will remember Christ's death. Because that's what will make the difference in your life and mine for 2024. One note, as we, as our men come in just a minute, and as we distribute the bread and the cup, if you do not know Jesus Christ today, just let it go by. Don't partake because it's not for you. It's only for those who know Jesus, who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, who have acknowledged that sin and trusted him. I'm going to pray. And while we're doing that, Paul tells the church in Corinth that when they participate in the Lord's Supper, communion, they should examine their own hearts. And that doesn't mean like Israel, you go back and look at all the sins you've committed. Primarily, it means you look at how am I doing with God's people? How am I functioning in treating one another, those who love the Lord? By this will all men know that we're his disciples when we love one another. How are we doing with that? That's really what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11. But examine your heart to make sure you're where you ought to be, walking with God. And then we're going to distribute the bread and the cup and remember Christ's death. Let's pray as our deacons come. Father, we are grateful for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your unconditional love for us. That in our sin and rebellion, in the hardness of our hearts, as your enemies, you sent your son to die in our place, to pay the price for our sin, so that we could be forgiven and added to your family as a child of God, no longer an enemy. Thank you, Father, for that. God, as we begin 2024 and tomorrow, tonight, God, that we would make sure that the death of Christ on the cross for us is right front and center in our thinking and in our hearts. Father, as we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, I pray that it wouldn't just be a ritual, a tradition, a routine, a thing that we do just because but that it would be a reminder until Jesus comes again why we're here and how we need to live our lives. Thank you for Jesus Christ. If there are any here today that do not know Jesus, I pray that even this morning, right here, right now, they would believe on the Lord, acknowledge their sin, admit their sin, and ask Jesus to save them and forgive them because of the blood of Christ on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for it's in his name I pray. Amen.